Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts David and Nick. This week, we welcome our heroes back. Meet an old friend for the first time, find out what's going on in New York, and Looking at these show notes here, I can, uh, I can with confidence say there's too much to talk about. There is too much to talk about. There's so many things. We so- should talk about all of it. We should let this show run for about five hours. Yeah. Maybe what- a 15-minute intermission in the middle. Yeah. People can get up and stretch. And yeah, people, you are not allowed to pause at any point. You have to listen the whole way through. During the intermission, you can stop and stretch, but... Yeah. Be- Gotta be back here right on time. This isn't the kind of podcast that you get to run on the treadmill with. You know, we're really the kind of podcast that you need to sit in one place very still and absorb it fully, like a meditative trance. Like possibly there should be a fire in the fireplace near you. You should have a glass of brandy. Yes. Uh, it, it's helpful if a storm is brewing outside, but, you know, mm-hmm. we'll go with whatever conditions we can Maybe get. a crow on a mantelpiece in the corner. Yes. We're very affluent, though a little gothic kind of podcast. Gothic, you say? Gotham? I don't know. I, that wasn't, that, was, that wasn't Goth- a transition Goth- to anywhere. I don't know Goth- why I said that. Gothamic? Gotham? Gothamic? Gotham. Gotham. Speaking of Gotham, David, how you doing? <laughs> Uh, you know that that classic transition. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of Gotham, uh, one time, so my dad's cousin is a dentist. At back camp. What? Okay, weird. My okay. my dad's cousin your, is a dentist. Your and dad's cousin. My dad's cousin. Cunt- my dad's cousin is, is a dentist. Is a dentist. Yeah. And uh, they they were talking like my my dad and my grandma and someone else were just talking about you know whatever like just life. And the the word braces got mentioned. And my grandma goes, oh, speaking of braces, Zip's in Paris. Zip is my dad's cousin. Just this out of nowhere, like, speaking of this unrelated thing, here's what's going on there. So speaking of Gotham, I'm uh, fine. Hey, I'm speaking of people related to you, um, uh, I mean, the fact that I'm related to you is very unfortunate. I saw something on Facebook that your dad's kind of a local celebrity. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Let's just go with that. Yeah, he was on the news, uh, not being arrested, uh, to all of our <laughs> surprise. Now he started a company that's that's doing uh, pretty well. Sure, I'll promote my dad's company on this podcast. Hey, you out there, if you have kids or know people with kids, tell them about Elephant Armor. Look it up. They are a business that disinfects and cleans playgrounds, like indoor playgrounds at uh, uh, fast food places. It's super effective and super safe. Elephant armor. Tell your friends. <laughs> wow, you're such a good son. Really enthusiastic about it. Hey, that was sincere. I didn't say it sarcastically. Like whenever I'm like, oh, good job, Nick. Like, but that sounded pretty legitimate. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, boy. Well, maybe just really bad at sarcasm. Oh, hey, look at this. To the Batmobile. Let's go. We have so much stuff to talk about this week. We just Fair gotta, we gotta so, dive right in. Let's keep on the Batman train. All the right. Bat train, as all they right. call it, uh, in Gotham. 
And maybe because we've both read Batman and Robin Eternal, we'll start there. Sure, sure. David, yeah, we can take it away. All right, Batman and Robin Eternal is the new six-month, not full year, uh, six-month event from DC focusing on, well, not just Batman. In fact, Batman isn't even really a big part of this first issue. It is Bruce Wayne Batman. That, well, Jim Gordon's barely even in it. It's really more about the Robins. It's more about the Robins, which I thought, which I think is a really good place to start. Anyway, it's the new weekly series going to be going on for six months, focusing on something big happening currently in Gotham. It didn't start off with the same sort of promise that Batman Eternal did. You know, Batman Eternal opens with the city on fire and Bruce Wayne defeated. This opens up much like. You know, a Batman story would, uh, or a with with Batman, a, in it. you know, an action comic would, uh, where you have Dick Grayson is hot on the trail of some bad guy, and he catches him with you know with the help of Jason and uh, and Tim, and so here you are, it's like, hey, we're all like we're all Robins, high fives, and he just like runs out of there, but then a bigger plot emerges, and there's something called the Mother or somebody called the Mother, who is apparently gunning for the Robins slash Batman. So the high concept really is that basically it's a conspiracy thriller uh, involving the Robins that uh, apparently there is a um, strategic reason that kids are ending up orphaned. Uh, and this relates to a uh, one of the earlier earliest cases uh, with Batman and Robin taking on the Scarecrow. Now, I don't know how much of it will actually involve the Scarecrow, but what's happening in the present is um, directly related to an event in their past, in their the early days of Batman and Robin. Um, and this conspiracy is opening up, and um, you're finding out that Batman has been hiding something. It, it, there's also a lot of parallels that are referencing the uh, the Joker story, Death of the Family, uh, Bruce Wayne has been hiding something from uh, Dick and Jason and Tim and, and other people uh, directly revol uh, revolving around sort of the the concept of Robin. Not necessarily the Robin name, but the utility of orphan children uh, taking on this sort of um, part this partnership role. Uh, well, um, yeah, but even like this, these orphan children taking up a crusade of some kind. Of some kind. Um, and it kind of balloons from there. Uh, what did you think about the issue, David? So I thought it was actually, I thought it was actually a really good issue. Uh, like I said, it doesn't start off with that bang, but I think that's in its favor. Um, it ends with a bang. It does. <laughs> oh, it does end with a bang. And there's a lot here, you know, in that sense, there's a lot here that really does set up that conspiracy thriller aspect to it. It's a very exciting book. There's a lot of stuff going on. And you don't know who to trust. And we're told right up, you know, straight up into our faces, like the mother can control anyone. You can't trust anyone. Um, the stakes are, you know, we don't we don't know the full end game, but the stakes are arisen pretty quickly, and I think mm -hmm. pretty believably. It's mm -hmm. not just like out of nowhere. Here's all this. I mean, it's sort of out of nowhere. Here's all this insanity, but it's not. Like, oh, a nuclear bomb goes off and everything's horrible. And, like, where did the nuclear bomb come from? It is like they're sort of starting personal and small. And you, you can tell this is going to grow much mm. bigger, probably pretty quickly. But we are 
easing ourselves into it with this first issue and setting up the dynamics uh, and reintroducing Cassandra Kane into the new 52. Who, Boom. yeah, that, that, that was probably the biggest thing for a lot of people is that Cassandra Kane is back in here and a badass. Uh, while she's, she's at I, it. I and, like her new look. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently tied to Bruce Wayne in yep. some way, unbeknownst to the Robins. She'll be like, she was the secret Robin or so, something. So one thing, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of going to be how it is. One thing that I really, yeah, she does look just so cool. I really like the outfit. One thing that I did like about this issue, and this is something that has, you know, been happening for a while, is that the Robins have been differentiating themselves in in you know in their personas they're not just batman juniors um in as they were sort of you know pre new 52 and now in the new 52 they they have sort of had their own very like entrenched personalities and i think this book and through each uh, batman eternal itself it was very highlighted of well now you have dick grayson is the super spy which is very different from anything that they've done before with any of the Robins. You know, he's very mm-hmm. suave. He's, he's much, he's much more pared down, not really wearing the costume, but in the whole like sexy spy sixties thriller world, you have Tim Drake, who is this like, not just like really involved in tech. It's like, he is very short of being Iron Man at this point. Uh, tech is his whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and you have, you know, you have also, uh, why can't I think of Jason, Jason Todd's Todd. name? Uh, why can't, why can't I think of, why can't I think of this Thomas very name? specific name? Uh, you have Jason Todd, who is just a complicated mess, but he is, you know, he's the guy that's got six guns strapped to his back and six more strapped to every limb of his body and is ready to bust them out and wreak havoc. And, He's the uh, the black sheep of the family. Well, yeah, where we have like you know Batman or or Dick Grayson are going to kind of go in the shadows and try to catch the bad guys. He's just going to straight up chase them down. He doesn't care really who sees them. Uh, his tactics are not you know those of fear. It is brutal violence. My now I I I like that Jason Todd is back. I know I, I'm not going to get into my whole tirade about the whole Red Hood identity, but I like that he's th- that. Even though, like, he died and he was brought back, that he can, that he was the black sheep of the Batman family. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, in a lot of ways, like, these guys are so chummy, yet they, they know that when they're not around, Jason is off gunning people down. He might have a, some kind of moral code. Like, obviously, he's not going to gun down kids or innocent people. But the fact that he still, like, completely flies in the face... Uh, Batman's principles, and they're just kind of like, "Hey, as long as you don't kill anyone when we're when we're around, but, we're cool. Like we're they, not gonna, yeah. you know." It's kind of a if they stand for justice and they're all about catching criminals, he's still effectively a criminal. He is, yeah. He's he's much more in the good graces now of the Bat family than he was a couple years ago. Yeah, which uh, I I don't mind. There's some level of reconciliation, but I feel like there shouldn't be any proper reconciliation unless he's willing to give up his murderous ways. I don't think um, there, yeah, I don't think there is yet. And I think we're, I think it's working towards that, but we're not there yet. But the thing is, if he gives it up, then he kind of loses that thing that makes him different than the other Robins. Obviously I'm always uh, a proponent of character progression, but right now him being kind of the, the, the Punisher Robin 
or the Robinisher, the Robisher. The, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll work on that one <laughs> off air. Well, um, you know, it, it, it really sets him up in a way that I feel like he, that even if he sometimes crosses over into Batman events like this, he shouldn't be chummy. Like, Dick and Tim, for all their differences with each other and maybe all their differences with Bruce, they all really do adhere pretty uh, staunchly to Batman's principles and to socialize and associate with someone who, you know, always flagrantly flies in the face of them, I, I, I think is a little bit of a stretch. If it, anything, it makes them like super hypocrites. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a very complicated relationship, and I and I do like their interactions in the first couple pages, um, where you know you have you have Tim and uh, and Dick, you know, talking in the same language essentially, and you have uh, Jason there who who knows like that language, but he doesn't you know he doesn't fly in that world anymore. Like he says, oh, so that was fun. Who wants to get a drink? And I'm 16, Jason. That's what uh, Tim says. And Jason's response is, "It's Gotham City, Tim. I can find a place." That was good. And also, good. yeah. And also, when they're talking about like, oh, there's this new Batman going around. Like, what's going on with Bruce? And t and Jason just cuts in. I call dibs on a couple Batmobiles, just two or three. I'm not greedy, and they just ignore him. Like I thought that he, their interactions in that first part were written very well. That that was good. That definitely was good. Uh, um, what else? What else can we really say about this book? Well, I mean, I guess we could go full spoilers and reveal the ending of the issue, the aforementioned bang. That's true, and that's that's one that I don't want to draw too many conclusions on at this point because it you know it could fly in our faces. Where the the thing that comes at the end is that there is a a small boy in what country are they in? Um, Egypt. They're in Cairo, Egypt, several years ago, and there's a boy who is in a street as his parents presumably lay in front of him, gunned down, very similar to the way that Bruce Wayne once was. And as they pan up to show us who the killer was, and they're in the employ of the mother following her instructions, it is Batman. Bruce Wayne Batman holding a gun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. What does that mean? I don't know. Find out in the next 25 issues. Yeah. it. I mean, it could be nothing. I mean, I, I would say it's going to be something, but it's... So, what I think is interesting about this event is that, on one hand, it's the whole... The high concept is the kind of thing that you know is going to irk any traditional Batman fan. Because it it's essentially... It's, even if it kind of ends up being a bit of a fake-out, it's still, like... If that is Bruce Wayne as Batman shooting someone, even if he's under mind control, he still did it. You know what I mean? Like right. he's still, in a sense, physically responsible for it. Um, so that that changes things. It tilts the mythos on their head. Um, so right out of the gate, this is a book that is challenging the status quo on a, a foundational level. And I think it has to in order to be a compelling and powerful story to be like it, why is the why is this worthy of being an event well because we're going to challenge we're going to challenge bruce you know the concept of bruce wayne as batman it does and um it ultimately it's you know what as, as much as this universe is kind of a a bastardization of the previous universe with sort of quote-unquote modernized elements or you know new elements input like the fact that 
you know, Zero Year is a new origin for this Batman. Um, all of the history is suspect. Ninety, probably ninety percent of the stuff that you thought you knew about this Batman's history is wrong and is completely open to be filled in by all you know all the writers. So I mean, this is something where if if it makes you feel any better, uh, if you're not happy with the idea that even under mind control, Bruce Wayne might be out there killing uh, parents of orphans, it's an it's a it's not it's it's a it's a new universe. It's it's has a, its own set of rules and principles that it can play with and bend and break. Um, so it's not something that particularly offends me of being like, oh, I don't want to see Batman with a gun. Um, if, they, but if, it, if, they, if they if they can have a good compelling reason for why he did it and how Bruce Wayne has then reconciled that. Yeah. Like that's fine. If it's, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I think this is going to be, uh, at least based on the first issue, a really compelling weekly series. And I also like that, you know what, the fact that it's only six months long, I think is going to allow them to tell a much tighter oh, focused character yeah. story without padding. Yeah. And, and I don't, know how much of he, of Batman Eternal that was necessarily padding. There probably were definitely elements, but the fact that it was went on for so long meant that they could drag out the story a bit more and that like the story was just a little bit longer and a little myriad at times. And a, a lot of elements from Batman Eternal were almost immediately turned over. Like the Batman universe is a pretty different place since Batman Eternal, but things like you know Jim Gordon being uh, incarcerated. Um, the different the, the the Jason Bard being the the commissioner. Um, you know Hush, and then uh, Thomas Wayne Jr. Uh, or Lincoln March or whatever coming back around. It kind of felt like they broke a bunch of toys during the 50, 50, 52 issues, and then by the end of it, you know they obviously like Bluebird kind of debuted, and you got spoiler out there. But other than that, like the the you know the Penguin uh, at least between that and the, the new Batman run, um, you know, it was kind of back in, in power, so to speak. Yeah. So it kind of felt like you read 52 issues, but the end result was there's a couple new characters with a, maybe a little bit of a facelift, but other than that, um, you kind of watched them as they took the toys out of the toy chest, broke them, and then kind of pieced them back together and put them back in. Yeah, see, Batman Eternal gave us the spoiler, and then DC was like, David, we're sorry. Here's Cassandra Kane. And I'm like, it's okay. I forgive you. I've heard really good things about the original Cassandra Kane Batgirl series. I People, think big Anna fans. has volume one. Maybe, but yeah, maybe I mean, I know it's really hard to hunt down, which is why DC needs a Marvel Unlimited esque service. Yeah. But neither here nor there. Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell us? Uh, so, Secret Wars is not over. But the new Marvel Universe has <laughs> debuted, and yes. uh, I see that you've kind of dug into it a bit, so why don't you give us a, a little overview of what's sure. going on? Okay, so I think the, the books that came out for the all-new, all-different Marvel Universe this week were Invincible Iron Man, Marvel's new flagship title, mm -hmm. uh, Contest of Champions, uh, which is a tie-in to a mobile video game which is inspired by a previous comic book. Um, so it's the first comic inspired by a game inspired that was inspired by a comic. Whoa. Think of that what you will. It's like an uh, Inception. A game within a comic That's, within a game. What? That's not what Inception is. No, David, shut up. Um, uh, and we got... You cannot silence uh, me. Uh, 
Doctor Strange, the return of Doctor Strange. With an axe. With an axe. And the amazing Spider-Man with, with a, a company. With a glowing suit symbol chest symbol thing. Symbol chest thing. Um, where do I want to dig? Where do I want to dig in? All right. Um, I read... Actually, I read all of them. Um, but the ones I would like to focus on is more... I'll talk briefly about Invincible Iron Man because it's the flagship book, so I guess it gets a little bit of PR. Uh, well, I don't know if we can call it PR. But... Um, it's it's Bendis at his finest in every way that counts. I don't really know how to describe well, you it. You sound so confident in that statement. <laughs> the artwork by David Marquez is breathtaking. It's oh, beautiful, oh, well-rendered, yeah. very clear storytelling. The suit looks really cool under his pen. It's Yeah, it's fo- it, the people look photorealistic without seeming stagnant, which is Yeah, of... they're... There, it's it's definitely closer to realism than cartoon, but it's definitely a a style, not like a, he's lifting it from tracing people. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's kind of a back to basics Iron Man. It starts out with him working in his shop. Um, he's complaining about how apparently his technology is yesterday's news, uh, and but at the same time he's now mastered a suit technology that allows him to apparently utilize every version of the Iron Man armor, it waits to be seen how that exactly happens. Because when you think about how that means, because I know in uh, upcoming preview pages, they show him kind of in like a Hulkbuster mm-hmm. type suit. And apparently that all extends from his one suit. So hmm. where those pieces come from, I don't know. Hmm. Um, this is a tiny factory on a suit. Well, it, it could be, uh, it could be something that like, uh, like in the age of Ultron, with Veronica that mm-hmm. maybe he can call pieces down from other places or it's something where he's like the mystique and like shape-shifting his suit. So it's like churning, creating matter out of thin air or something. I don't know. Yeah. That, the, Veron- um, the Veronica suit is just, it's such, so clever on so many levels. Yeah. I liked it. Um, but the story is fairly basic. He's in his shop. He's annoyed. Um, he uh, apparently has a date. He goes on the date. There's actually a really funny sequence in there uh, that I don't want to describe because then I'll ruin it. But uh, I would say that if you can get your hands on a copy, um, uh, it's worth checking out the the scene. And you'll know what scene I'm referring to when you get to it. Um, it's it's Bendis. It's it's definitely harkening back more to his Daredevil run. I think Tony, tackling a, a solo character like Tony will be beneficial to him. Because it's not like he hasn't had, like, 10 years of experience writing Iron Man as a team member. Um, but really being able to focus in. And uh, Bendis' writing um, is well utilized on a snarky character like Tony Stark. Um, but as far as where this book is going to go, I have no idea. The ending, uh, in some ways, spoils the end of Secret Wars. Insofar as that it tells you that a certain character survives... He doesn't, um, he doesn't really survive. He, he, gets he definitely handsome. survives. Uh, but it also uh, invites a lot of changes to the character, and it, leaves, it obviously leaves a lot of questions that will be answered sometime between uh, the next several Invincible Iron Man issues and the end of Secret Wars. Um, but as far as a book goes, it's Bendis. So it's the kind of book that I, I did like the first issue. I, I think this is a book that I, I'm willing to follow, but I might want to allow it to kind of 
let you know have a few issues you know the first you know six more. or so issues come out and then kind of take it all at once um okay. because it's you kind of read one chapter and he really pads out the book i mean uh, compared to amazing spider-man which was roughly the same amount of pages um but felt like there was just a lot more content piled into those pages makes uh invincible iron man feel kind of light interesting but I mean, okay. in a lot of ways, it's worth it just for the David Marquez art alone. Um, but as far as Spider-Man goes, Spider-Man is actually taking the place of Iron Man as being sort of the industrialist superhero. Um, and as far as setting up this new uh, status quo of Spider-Man, it's a lot of fun. Um, this is the car. first time I. Hmm? He has a car. Yeah, the major difference. Spider-Man has a car. He's had a, had, he's had a car past. before, and the car before was way better. Um, yeah. Um, so Peter Parker is now like the I don't know Steve Jobs or whatever. He's like got his hands in everything. He's got like the 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 Apple Watch, but it's called the Webware. Uh, Spider-Man's his bodyguard, and apparently no one thinks that that's weird. Um, he, but in some ways, like he, he, you know, he's thought it through to a certain extent. Like he still operates as Spider-Man, but like to kind of throw people off the scent, he has a uh, his uh, longtime friend and partner, Hobby Brown, um, who's the 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 Prowler, mm-hmm. uh, an old Marvel character uh, impersonating Spider-Man. Um, when when Peter's not Spider-Man, to kind of throw people off the trail. Apparently, he's also working with Mockingbird. Uh, as his shield liaison. Um, and they're up against a new threat or a repurposed threat called the Zodiac, hmm. which apparently is a, a, a bunch of gangs made up, and each gang is a, a sect of the, the Zodiac, a Zodiac character, uh, and they're all working towards some kind of goal. Um, long story short, it's a good issue. Uh, Giuseppe Comancoli, the artist, uh, I really enjoyed a lot of the work he did on Superior Spider Man, and this is kind of Marvel saying, you know, you've been a good pinch hitter on Spider-Man for years. Now we want you to launch this book and be the book's main artist. And Sweet. I think he's earned it. Um, Storytelling-wise, it's very crisp. It's very clear. It's definitely a unique style, as it, mostly around the, the pace. Um, is um, interesting, but uh, overall, the, the art looks really, really good. Um, I won't get too deep in the story details. I'll just say that uh, you get... Even though the issue is five ninety nine, it comes with a lot of backup stories that kind of highlight the, the other Spider-Man related titles coming out, um, and you, you get a lot of bang for your buck. It's a, it's a really dense yet well paced story, um, and uh, I'm excited for this Amazing Spider-Man because it, it, it's kind of bringing me back to Superior Spider-Man in a way that it's such a ridiculous setting to see Peter in that as long as it's done well. It, it can only be enjoyable. So, right. well, and and you know, there's hints at the end of something sinister. Some someone sinister uh, or someone superior <gasps> is making a return. What? Um, and uh, I'm pretty stoked about that. Spoiler alerts: uh, we will be seeing the return of Doc Ock in some shape or form, and I'll be very curious to see how that plays out. Um, but uh, other than that, real quick on Doctor Strange, uh, it, it, this is notable because Marvel's been kind of sitting on a Doctor Strange book for a long time. 
waiting for the right time to uh, release it. Obviously, with the movie coming up next year, it's a lot of eyes are going to be it's, on it's him. Fortuitous. Uh, yeah, it's, it's totally coincidental. Um, this is by Jason Aaron and Chris uh, Bacalo, 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 Chris Bacalo, whatever. Uh, um, Crispy is known uh, for his lengthy runs on X Men, lengthy runs on X Men books. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what he's most uh, known for. So him kind of uh, jumping ship and taking a crack at this uh, is, you know, it's kind of a fresh breath air for him. I think it's a bit of a creative re- revitalization, and overall the art looks good. He is definitely. Uh, an off-the-beaten-tracks choice, yet at the same time, his style fits the sort of surrealist, uh, Ditko-style nature of Doctor Strange. Uh-huh. Um, one thing... Th- okay, this is kind of a side point, and I, I just think that uh, the conspiracy theorist in-, in me kind of finds it funny. Obviously, Crispy is known for his work on the X-Men, so he- he's very heavily associated. He very much cares about the X-Men. On the first... Uh, on the... the, the um, the sec- uh, pages two and three, it's a two-page spread of Doctor Strange kind of leaping away from these uh, soul eaters. Um, and what the bottom of his shoe is visible, and he's wearing, I don't know, some kind of boots or whatever. And on the, on uh, the uh, bottom of the boots... Some kind of boots brand. He, he's wearing a boots. Doc Martens, whatever. Um, there's three X's along the bottom. Hmm. On the bottom of his shoes. Hmm. Now... Uh, I know, and I, I think this was disproven insofar as it, their, their intentions. Um, I can't remember which shoe brand it was. It may have been Converse. It may have been another um, brand. But it was one of those kind of like uh, kind of like a Converse shoe um, where apparently it had uh, the bottom of the, the shoes all had like things that looked like the Star of David mm-hmm. on it. And supposedly the the, the theory was, was that they were anti-Semitic and that the, every time you took a step with those shoes, you were stepping on jews and jewish culture huh. uh, so what i thought of that when i saw the shoes and i thought is this chris b uh, bachalo bacalo make uh making a subversive comment about marvel's behind the scenes treatment of the x-men it, it could be oh. complete stretching it bullshit but i just <laughs> thought it was interesting that the markings on the bottom of the shoe were x's and it's chris bachalo and he's heavily associated with associated with the x-men there's a thing. I just thought it was funny. I don't know what you think about that. I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. Uh, yeah, no, it's cool. I have heard some good things about these books. I, I mean, not obviously there's not a lot of them out yet, and Marvel just continues to announce number ones coming out over the next few months. So what this new universe... I mean, I'm using the word new loosely here. What it's like going to look like over the next couple of months will be really interesting to see. Uh, obviously, we have some status quo changes, but at the same time, the more stuff changes, the more it stays the same. So, right. who knows? Um, yeah, no, Doctor Strange is good. Doctor Strange's characterization, he's definitely not as stuffy as he tends to come off in books. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a bit more playboyish, uh, a bit more loose. Um, but, um, yeah, it's good. It's. This, the villains like called empiricals or empiriscals, which is a play on the word empirical. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, a nice little bonus story at the end with uh, Kevin Nolan art um, that kind of reveals him and the character designs are really cool. Um, but what am I trying to say? I don't know. It's 
it's definitely a good book. It's a book that I'm going to follow for a little bit and see where it goes because I've always liked Doctor Strange and I've been actually reading or going back and reading some of the uh, original Doctor Strange tales and they're actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, um, it's really too early to say how well these books are going to fare. Uh, so far, so good, I should say, for the all-new, all-different Marvel. But right. we obviously have like a hundred more issues to, well, <laughs> to check out. Solid endorsement. Obviously, what Nick is saying here is uh, 10,000 more years of all-new, all-different Marvel. I want all we old, shall all bask. same. <laughs> I mean, they're eventually going to have to name it something like that. Yeah, like, what's, well, what's... So there was there was Marvel Now, and then there was all-new all Marvel all... Now. And then yeah, there was Avengers all, now, and now right. we're at all new, all different Marvel. So they're gonna so, do what, what? What could be next? What could they take next? All different now, Marvel. All now. All now, Marvel. Now all Marvel. No, I think I think yeah. all I think all now, uh, heroes, Avengers, different initiative, Civil War, <laughs> the secret, secret Marvel invasion now of all new different initiative uh marvel infinity have we done marvel infinity because they that, have not all new seems... all different infinity or just infinity marvel no i think marvel I think, infinity i think marvel they have infinity. their infinite comics they do and i mean there, I mean, there's the guardians of uh, infinity coming out yeah that's I, true have you guys... one, of, one of many books right so place your bets i'm giving uh two to one odds uh marvel infinity place all of the money you have on this bet <laughs> So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a couple books here. Yeah, before you do. It. Stuff. I, I'm gonna uh, rest my voice for a minute. Yeah, that's fine. I'm gonna touch for just a second on Copperhead because they wrapped up their second story arc uh, with this latest issue, and it was a, really you know I, this has been a great book. It's kind of sad because there's so much good stuff coming out right now that I'm really excited about that I haven't I wasn't like as excited for this issue as I have been for other ones. Uh, but even just looking back at it before the show to kind of remind myself what happened, I was just reminded that this was a really solid issue. This is a really solid story. These guys are doing a really good job of uh, of you know, establishing their world and then making it feel real and lived in, which is a comment we've made on this book before. And I think it's very true. There was one moment in this issue, though, that I have to talk about because it was so close to being like very subtle and well done and they totally ruined it uh it in this storyline there's been it, it all sort of started with this one brother or there's these two brothers and one is kind of the guy who always gets in trouble the other one who is a criminal and a troublemaker still though like protects him and always looks out for him and they've ended up the group of brothers and their thugs ended up kidnapping the deputy and so the sheriff and a ragtag team have gone after them and and this is them this is the final showdown them getting boo back uh and the sheriff has this moment where she has the the troublemaking brother with a gun to his head and it's like you know if you don't stop everything right now i'm gonna kill your brother and the one who's been protecting him has this moment where he's like he's very just defeated in obviously so so many ways and he's you know i i promise that i'd always do what's best for you essentially and so he raises his gun up and he shoots his brother and kills him there's a small shootout that happens bad guys go down good guys win hip hip hurrah 
so the, the implications there are very clear. I'm doing what's best for you. I'm protecting you because you're always going to get into situations that are eventually going to get you killed. It's very poignant, you know, thought-provoking moment. But after it goes on, someone asks, what just happened? And the sheriff says, Zolo did what he promised his pa he'd do. In his own way, he protected his brother. Which, yes, that's exactly what just happened, and you didn't need to spell that out for us. It was, it was like just a, a small sad moment for me of this was really good and really deep and really point. And now it's like, here it is. We're just going to go ahead and write on the wall what's happening in case you couldn't figure it out. Yeah, dum-dums. Which I don't think is what they're doing here. He just wanted to solidify that point and I don't think that they needed to. But all in all, good issue. Good storyline. I'm excited there's some stuff in the storyline that was introduced that did not get resolved, which I thought was a little interesting. But like what? The husband, or the ex-husband. I think that's going to be a major focus of the third arc, Well, it, uh, well based but, on but, the way this issue ends. Yeah, but, but they, uh, I think he's going to like show up immediately in the next issue. But they made it seem like there was building up towards him having some part in this storyline, or appearing at some point in the storyline. And then it just drops off of him entirely after, you know, the second issue of this arc, which was fine. It, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go back and read the arc as a whole. It sounded more like he was, it was kind of like a B-plot that was simmering. Well, yeah, and but it, once but it, the, the B-plot kind of... It just happened for a couple issues and then just disappeared. Yeah. Which I think they could have done a little bit more with it. Well, they do kind of, with the uh, the guy coming from Central Command or whatever he's from, mm -hmm. coming in at the end, it's kind of like, oh yeah, don't we didn't forget about this. Yeah. Uh, another book I'm going to talk about just real quick is Paper Girls, which is Brian K. Vaughn, uh, who I've never heard of before. He's a completely unknown name to me. Please. And uh, Cliff Chiang, known for his fantastic Wonder Woman run and other stuff, but more recently for his fantastic Wonder Woman run with Brian Azzarello. It is a story about paper girls, you know, girls who go deliver the paper uh, very early in the morning instead of paper boys. And that is briefly like a thing of like, oh, you were the first paper girl making it possible for us to do this. Like, high five, cool, awesome. I don't have a lot to say on this book right now because this is a book that I'm probably going to hold off on and then read a lot at once. Mm -hmm. Uh because I think the story will be served better in that way. I'm a little indifferent on this issue. It didn't wow me. Obviously, the art is great. The writing, Brian K. Vaughn, very capable writer. Uh, I can tell he's got a story he wants to tell here, and it's probably going to be good, but I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it as much, doled out in you know, 20 to 25 pages every month. Uh, whereas I can sit down and read, you know, five, four or five issues all at once, hundred whatever pages. I think this I will digest the story a lot better. It'll hit me a lot better because they also have to try and do the cliffhanger to keep you coming back. And the cliffhanger in this book just really didn't hit me. They introduce some sci-fi elements, and then the question comes up: of Wait a minute, were were those guys aliens or weird future people? Which is a neat little question, but I would 
I don't know. Just the way that it hit me, it was, I'm not like chopping at the bit to find out, you know, in, in like, oh, it's going to drive me insane to like, to have to wait. It's like, if I, I, I would just prefer kind of to, to absorb that information and continue going and find out, are they weird future people or not? Uh, I'm kind of like all over the place on my thoughts on this book. It was good, but didn't wow me. It's not going to be a definite for sure pickup, but it's a story that I want to come back to. Uh, and the book that I want to talk more about in some detail is from Archie Comics. We have the release of Jughead Number 1 by Chip Zdarsky and Erica Henderson, who Erica Henderson is a Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, right? That's... She's, she's the artist for Unbeatable right, Squirrel Girl. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, and that was very obvious right off the bat. Um, and uh, she draws faces weird sometimes. So I'm just going to say that. But I have not uh, hidden my love for Chip Zdarsky on this show. In fact, if I could rename this podcast, Heck Yeah, Chip Zdarsky Podcast... I would, uh, but Nick won't let me because he is a big, meanie doo-doo head. That sounds like me. That does sound like you. So what are we, you know, where are we coming with, with Jughead number one? We obviously have this new Archie world we're living in where it's, you know, it's modern. It, it's where we're at. Um, and usually... You know, if we're going to start telling stories for kids today, they're going to be darker, they're going to be grittier. And Archie's like, no, we can still tell really good stories without resolving or, you know, having to lower ourselves to cheap tactics. Like, stuff can still have this very wholesome edge to it. Uh, and Jughead fits right into that world perfectly. Uh, it's definitely got the Chip Zdarsky humor without getting into the super weird that, you know, Howard the Duck and, and other Chip Zdarsky books uh, will we'll delve into. But he does allow himself a space for that where Jughead has this dream sequence and it's this whole Game of Thrones parody that's going on. And, of course, you get some very weird, absurdist humor in there. Uh... I think you know Chip Zdarsky. Just like I have to, I have to find a way to make to make things a little bit strange. Dream sequence. Um, the main story, though, is that things are changing at Riverdale High. You know, it's we're, we're trying to update stuff for for you know the modern teens. We're going to get rid of the old principal and bring in the new guy who's going to homogenize everything and take away stuff. You know, what made everything really special in Jughead. Won't let that stand once he finds out that all of his delicious lunch food is being taken away. And he must stand up for the little guy. Mainly, he's depressed that there's no cheeseburgers. And what is a world without cheeseburgers? So dark, what, sad world. So what does he do after he has his moment in his crazy dream sequence? He goes and learns how to make cheeseburgers. And then he begins to sell them to the people of Riverdale High. And you think, oh man, this is just, this is Jughead. Being Jughead, whatever that necessarily means, because I don't really know Archie, but I've always got that he's kind of a little bit of an aloof, lazy guy. And there's been this 
other storyline running through this comic where Veronica, not Veronica, uh, Betty, the one that we all like, where Betty's trying to like raise money to prevent prevent people developing certain parts of the city because it's tied to their childhood and there's no greenery left and Jughead's not going in on that because Jughead's aloof. He doesn't care. But wait a minute, when he's selling these burgers, he's found a way to do it on school property because all the profits go to charity and they're going over to Betty. I think this is a book that really gave me a great sense for the character of Jughead aside from the passing knowledge that I've had of him from him being you know, in popular culture and the times when I would actually read an Archie story or be exposed to an Archie story. It is books like this and books like, you know, the main Archie title that have made me realize how a Riverdale TV show is going to work. And I think it could work really well if they keep with these sort of aesthetics. All in all, really, really enjoyed this book. I would say that I loved this book, uh, not just because it's Chip Zdarsky and I might be legally bound due to a weird soul pact I made with him in the dark alley to praise everything he's done endlessly, but even if that were not the case, which it might not be for all you know, I still would have rather enjoyed this story. And like I said, it 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 is funny, it's touching, it's got everything, and it's not blue in any way they don't resolve they don't they i keep trying to say a phrase that's not working they don't have to make things dirty they don't have to make little snide innuendos going on it is very straightforward and it works so jughead for the future that is that outside of comics which there's lots of good comics that came out this week obviously we also have the return of Arrow and the Flash. Arrow and the Flash. Which was uh, the failed sitcom they tried before separating them to their own hour-long dramas. Dramatic action thrillers. Dun-dun-dun. Um, well, I guess Flash came out first. Would you want to talk Flash? Sure, yeah. Let's talk some Flash. Obviously, uh, we're not going to break these down minute by minute. But, oh, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll put my charts away. <laughs> my charts and graphs. Uh, yeah, that's that's for the bonus. Uh, my, the bonus my flashbacks. Content. If you're, there's a there's a bot on Reddit that is the Flash Facts bot. Is it? And we'll just post randomly if people talk about the Flash, it'll post facts about the Flash. Interesting. Uh, all right. So Flash season two, episode um, one. We open up. Uh, five the, months after the cliffhanger ending the of man the who saved Central City first uh, season, uh, Central City was saved. Everyone really digs the Flash. The Flash um, obviously saved the day with no help from anybody. Nope, nope. Wait, spoilers. Wait, why does Barry have all this guilt? Why does he feel sad? Why is Caitlin sad? Why? Where is Ronnie? Oh, it's because Ronnie died again. Oh, uh, because well. Barry Allen was able to stabilize the wormhole. He couldn't quite shut it down. So Firestorm went up in there, and they separated in the heart of the Singularity, which was enough to stop it completely, but Flash could only save one of them. Professor, well, only Professor Stein came out, 
So right. unless Ronnie him. happened to smack into the concrete somewhere else in the city, or <laughs> they just was unrecognizable. Or hold um, on, I'm just going to throw this out there. Or Ronnie went through the singularity. Well, okay. Uh, first off, spoilers again. The actor playing Ronnie, uh, Robbie Amell, has said, "You have not seen the last of me." What? Um, so he's more than likely trapped some in, a, in an alternate reality, and he will pop back in again. It was one of those situations where you just knew that for whatever reason, either you know that they, I'm sure that Robbie Amell gets along quite well with everyone in the cast, but either A, he's got too many other projects because he seems like one of those guys that's like kind of on the up and up popularity and project wise. Um, so they probably wrote him out of the show again so that they could utilize him when they wanted to or bring him back in. Because I don't think he's... He's not the, he, he's kind of like Colton Haynes, uh, though less so, because yeah, I don't he's, think he's, he's ever as, going to be in a position where he he's not stays on the show for a regular basis. Right. Which is sad, because I actually did enjoy his character. I but did. I don't, I don't think he was adding a whole, whole lot to the story. He or to wasn't. the... You and kind of like in hindsight, I wish that they first off... I mean... So certainly for this opening, it gave uh, Caitlin even you know more reason to feel uh, sad because like he finally came back, and then they got married, and then he died again. Right, and it was it, like it, man, that sucks for Caitlin. It was very effective how it happened, even even for us being the jaded assholes that we are. Yeah, that we're being right now. Right, um, but it, at long term, like if he's gonna peak in sporadically, like as as a married as far as married couples go, like. If he comes back again, Kate, if I was Caitlin, I would not let him out of my sight, you know? Uh, so I, I don't think they've done a, a good service to the characters by tying them together so so closely romantically. Um, also, the fact that Ronnie was is also supposed to be a scientist genius, which obviously is a departure from the sort of jockey, uh, numbnut uh, version of the character, the original version of the character. Right, he's got the physique while his partner has the brains. Yeah. So it doesn't, I mean, both of them, you know, it, it was, it's a nice contrast that allows for a good dynamic when they are Firestorm. Um, and that one episode where they were, like, they were actually Firestorm and you heard how they communicated was just really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, in last season, they introduced Jason Rush for two seconds. Uh, apparently, they're not utilizing him at all, but they are introducing another uh, African-American character named Jay Jackson. Who is who sounds personality-wise like he's going to be closer to the original Ronnie Raymond, uh, as far as not as not being the intelligent one. Yeah, wait. Um, Jay Jackson was the one who was supposed to be in Legends of Tomorrow, right? I think he's going to start in the Flash and then or move over whatever, there, and then move over. Yeah, because we all thought it, we all thought it was going to be Static Shock, and then they're like, "No, it's this kid who like is a mechanic." Yeah, like, which is why I, I wish that they either just reintroduced Jason Rush because, uh, you know, he shows up. And obviously, to non-comic fans, Jason Rush appearing could have meant absolutely nothing. You know, to us, it's just like, it's Jason Rush. Like, he's a cool character. Mm -hmm. Like, he should have been brought back. Um, but Jason Rush, I don't think, ever uh, wasn't... Oh, actually, I think when Jason Rush first appeared, he wasn't tied to Professor Stein, he, I think he could actually merge with anyone in his vicinity. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's also supposed to be intelligent. And then obviously you got Jason and Ronnie um, together, which is kind of what's going on to current DC. I, 
I'm getting on a tangent. Right, yeah, um, we are, we are totally flash. off of the Flash. Right oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I was totally so, telling my dad this earlier, too. I was like, yeah, I'm the one that kind of goes off on tangents. Right, so what also happened in the Flash is, of course, you had your baddie of the week, the Atom Smasher, show up and start smashing things uh, with his atoms. I wasn't paying a lot of attention. And, uh, and you know, who is this guy? He looks just like this other guy who was killed earlier. Oh, wait, there's all these hints that he might be from somewhere else. Sent here by a mysterious character known as Zoom. 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 And it, it totally just occurred to me that the dead version of the guy was actually this universe version of him. And not the other one. Like I knew they said that in the show. Right. Like, wait, this guy was dead. We this we found this guy dead earlier. So who's he? And then I knew he came from another reality, but it didn't occur to me that that's what they were getting at. That there was that his version in Barry's universe was dead. Yes. Like, and it wasn't that the dead guy got brought back to life. No. I don't know why. Like, I'm just piecing this together now. Uh, but... you know, it's you're you're pretty. That's all that matters. Yes. I got, I got the looks in this friendship. Yeah. So this was a, a good episode, and a thought that I had expressed uh, a couple places online was that this was a really good first season episode with how The Flash was in the first season. If you had put this in the latter half, we'd all be talking about, what a great episode this is. It's really good because you know, we've had all this time to build all this stuff up, but it didn't feel like that step up that a season opener I feel like it's supposed to feel. They introduced the new big bad, but only by name. I don't know. It, it I feel like now that Tom Cavanaugh, who is uh, still a series regular, just appeared in little snippets but was not there the whole time. I just realized you know what a force he was on that show and what he really added. And even, even not even just as Eobard Thawne, but also as Harrison Wells in his disguise back before we were, you know, 100% sure. Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, provided just a, a really great character in a really great uh, interaction with Cisco uh, that I think right now is, is missed. And I don't know, it, this, this was a, a good episode, but not amazing not that every episode has to be amazing but for a season opener it was a little it was a little all right it was, a, it, was okay. it was a really right. good season one episode but as far as upping the especially with i mean i'm i i believe you felt the same way but like on that that season finale episode like it just ended on such a like high note like yeah. oh my god and then obviously if you're like us and you kind of follow all the little breadcrumbs that they throw at you prior to the opening mm -hmm. um you know you're expecting like escalation like you're going like i think in a lot of ways like we wanted to see i at least the way i thought was that barry was going somewhere no and that's like, that's this, what i thought too and that would have been amazing you, you know like... that he ends up that it starts with him landing on another earth yeah alternate. you know on jay like he ends up on jay garrick's earth or something yeah. you know maybe he spends an episode or two there and then he you know and maybe he sees jay garrick versions uh, like earth two versions of his uh, his, his yeah. cast you know and that, that that way that those actors can get paid um right but and then he goes back yeah um but and, and the jay garrick reveal at the end was cool but not 
like a, like for us, it's really cool. It's like, oh man, it's Jay Garrick. But I imagine for casual viewers of the show who aren't, you know, who just like the show and they're aren't like, huge, yeah, they're like, door. oh, who is this guy? Like, what's what's the big deal? Like, and obviously next week they're going to hear all about Jay Garrick. He's a Flash from another world. That's super cool. But for them, it was just like, oh, here's a new plot element. What's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, Cisco's the Cisco's developing his power is pretty cool. I don't know what they're going to do with that. That's a very tricky power they're playing with. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they they show it. It was like the reality shifted around him. Mm-hmm. Even, like, um, but he can he can look into other realities. Yeah. Which could become very complicated if they're like why isn't cisco just go look into what's going on I'm, yeah i'm really curious to see how they define it and obviously they've done a pretty good job of giving limitations and boundaries to powers so i don't know uh but also out this week and what i think with a superior opening episode was arrow I agree. The for what I thought was a very lackluster and disjointed, troubled season three, uh, season four. Of course, we're only one episode in, but season four starts off very strong. Season four just came out swinging hard. A lot, a lot of the elements really work, uh, such as uh, I find who's the guy that plays Damien Dark. Uh... Dum Dum Dugan? I can't remember the actor's name. It is Dum Dum Dugan, though. Casting Dum Dum Dugan as um, Damien Dark is inspired cast. Not, not that like Damien Dark's a, a known quantity or anything, but the charisma he brings to the role and the, the presence that he commands. I mean, his initial scene where he walks in on the city council uh, discussing uh, things and just totally shuts everyone down. You know, he just old. He not only was he commanding the room in a story sense, but he was really you. You were following him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the kind of thing. You, maybe you're texting while you're watching the show, but you, you put your phone down when he's on the screen. And you're like, "What's this guy gonna do next?" It's uh, Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. Yeah, Neil McDonough. Um, uh, you know, he, yeah, no, he's he, gonna he's be a highlight this season. I really hope that, however, he, he ends up being defeated. That he doesn't go out in a punk way. Well, no, I don't think he's going to because he had some really badass moments where Oliver, as himself, is not enough to take this guy down. He doesn't have the strength, you know, that he can. <laughs> Damien Dark can stop arrows mid air with his mind. Like, that's. And he's got super strength. That's, you know, that's one step above what, uh, what, what's his name was doing? Um, Slade. You know, Slade had super strength, but he was still susceptible to being hit with arrows. Damien Dark is one <laughs> step above that, which was pretty good escalation, I guess, in that respect. And, and uh, Damien Dark isn't—I mean, he's deranged, but he's not deranged. Yeah, you know? no, he's—he's got—he's got. He's got Slade was kind of deranged. He's got a menacing calm about him mm-hmm. at all times. So, and I think great it, performance there. Yeah, I think it's also—it's worthy saying uh, that 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 Alicity now that Alicity has settled in, is not the annoying force that really hurt a lot of people last yeah. season. Uh, she, uh, right out of the gate, she's back to being funny. I like that she, that 
you know, a lot of, a lot of things, it's like uh, you thought that maybe Oliver was going to come back and it was going to be conflicting and that all of uh, 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 Felicity, like Felicity were going to be that like, no, don't do it. Right, like, you can't go like, back to that life. You know, but she's actually the one that's been doing it in secret and actually encourages him to do it. And I really like that. Yeah, and he she draws out of him that desire that she knows is there. But and to do it for all the right yeah. reasons. Right, yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, because we're bored. It's like, yes, it's, yeah, we're bored. But also, like, we're helping people and, like, your sister and Laurel and, like, all, like, they, like they, they're not able to fully handle what's going on. And I really liked that scene when he's driving around and he's looking at the city and he's seeing, like, man, I've been doing this for three years and things just aren't better. Things are worse. Yeah, things are worse. And it's it's, like... Instead of, you know, he is a little downtrodden, but it's like, all right, that means that my mission isn't over yet, that I have to continue on. Uh, and I'm totally into that. They have him now as the Green Arrow, officially. He's Great moment. out there as the Green Arrow, yep. Uh, it was starting to get very Kingdom Hearts in the way that it was throwing around the words darkness and light. And I'm saying this as somebody who absolutely loves Kingdom Hearts. It is so cheesy. Like, the series is great. It is so painfully cheesy sometimes. And this was getting to those levels of, like, in order to fight the darkness. By the way, the bad guy's name is Damien Dark. In order to fight the darkness, we have to be the light. And when there's darkness, light will be there to win it out. It's like, oh, boy. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, Did you also notice Damien Dark's snide comment about the show uh, no the, his, his meta reference hold on I, I have a picture of it I was going to send you but I'm like no I need to reveal this to him on the show to uh, to get your reaction full force it's when he's giving a speech to his men he says you know I love this town in the fall I mean yes it looks pretty much the same as it does in the other three seasons do you get it oh I get it yeah no it's, it's just a nice Little, like, hey, we're being consistent at least. Right, guys? <laughs> I'm going to destroy the city now. But boy, how are they going to ramp things up? Because you already have a bad guy. Again, already introducing the bat- main bad guy. Love it. And he's already attempting to ruin and destroy everything. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, is he going to end up being the bad guy for the all, like, 23, 24 episodes? Is he going to... I mean, they've pushed yeah. him that he's going to be, that... That's what they've said. But, I mean, how long can you really run this guy for? You know what I mean? Well, I'm not saying that it's not compelling, but there's they're stretching it, and then they're stretching it. I mean, there's so many other elements, though, that, like, we, we didn't see John Barrowman. We don't know what's going on with the League of Assassins. And John Barrowman is also a series regular credited who did not appear. So he's got a storyline that's still going to come around. Yeah, obviously being the head of the League of Assassins. But, I mean, with Damien Dark, like, don't forget, he is compelling. And you could find a way to stretch it out over 24 episodes. But it's one of those things where it's it's clearly... It's not like, like say, with Flash. Like, technically, Eobard Thawne slash Harrison Wells was the main baddie. But for, like, the first half of the season, he's obviously more of a protagonist helping the team. And there's a mystery going on, like, what's going on with him? And then once you know it's him, the second half kind of plays that up and, and kind of slowly develops like the people figuring out that it's him and confronting him and so on and so well, forth. Yeah. We also... In episode one, we already know it's Damien, Damien Dark. We already know that he's basically just trying to blow up the city. Um, 
So uh, I think there's more that we don't know yet. That's um, so what I'm just curious how they they'll be able to stretch him out across an entire season without padding his threat because he's obviously such a, a, a credible, powerful threat. You don't really want to dilly dally trying to neutralize him. And he's got a hive of operatives. A hive a of hive. operatives. Uh, which, all right, you know, we're just going to, uh, we're already hitting the hour mark with this discussion. We haven't even gotten to the new stuff yet, uh, which is totally fine. But real quick, uh, obviously we don't shy away from spoilers on this show. Nick, your thoughts of who is in the grave at the end. In six months, somebody will be dead on this show. It is going to be John Diggle. I they, agree 100%. They, they want you to think it's Felicity because of the way that they segued from Oliver and Felicity doing the naughty to um, the grave scene. Um, but mm. obviously, you know, uh, Oliver would have the same reaction with Felicity uh, as he would with Diggle insofar as declaring his intentions to kill presumably Damien Dark. Here's another twist. I'm assuming he meant Damien Dark. But what if it's Captain Lance or someone else? What if someone else is responsible for killing, right. they, in they, my mind, Diggle? They kept, I mean, they did keep a name out of it. There is a lot of mystery in that scene, but I thought they handled it really well of like now going back over. It, it's like, oh yeah, they didn't say a name. Like you assume it's Damien Dark, but what if it's not? It was, it was well handled of not like they avoided it very purposefully and made it kind of awkward and clunky. It was someone is dead, and some by someone's hand, and Oliver is vowing revenge. And yeah. I, I do think I do think you're gonna have Diggle get so wrapped up in trying to avenge his brother that you know, his guard is gonna get let down. He's gonna get in over his head, and he is going to uh, not be living anymore. And yeah, they they do introduce that Lance is an operative of Dark, somewhat unwillingly. Seem, se- seemingly seems. coerced. Yeah. So would he get to the point where he would kill John Diggle? I don't know. That would definitely be interesting. I don't yeah. know. Even like with the death of Diggle, I don't know if that would be enough to get Oliver to kill Lance. I don't know. Ooh, man. It, so it, much to think that's about. That's questionable. So it might not be that. Uh, but you never know. Diggle, I mean, obviously, one thing that they really played up in this first episode is the uh, current animosity between and mistrust between Diggle and, and Oliver. And obviously they both truly do care about each other. And I think Oliver is really hitting home about the fact of how much John means to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that we're definitely going to see play out over the course of the season. Um, but the only reason I don't think is Felicity is she, she's integral in a way that Diggle isn't. Um, and I thought D- Diggle was really, really important in season one. I really liked their initial dynamic. In season two and three, he kind of fell by the wayside. I can't but, believe we're on season four. But he, I um, know that was so. I was like, oh yeah, season three. I'm like, no, this is season four. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I, I completely agree that his their relationship did kind of fall to the wayside. But he was always there for Ollie, and they did have some really great scenes yeah. of their brotherhood uh, sticking it out. No, exactly, and I I just feel like Diggle is a character that I think he, he's going to get played up a lot more in this first half of the season, and that's in part because they're going to kill him off. Um, it's it's tough. 
I don't want David. I don't want any of the characters to die. No, uh, no. I certainly don't want Felicity to die. I guess if I had to choose between well, the two, I'd want Felicity to, to live. But... Here's the thing is people want a happier, more lighthearted Oliver Queen. Not necessarily saying show, but just a uh, you know an Oliver who's a little more jovial. And if you kill Felicity, we can't really stay at that place. Like it's gonna, And he's going to go to a dark spot for that. Killing Diggle is going to be really hard. But I, that's something that, you know, he would have still Felicity to help pull him through that on the other side. Yeah. Um, there was another thought that I was going to say. We're in season four. Um, uh, but you now, go ahead. do you think that the that the, that they have a that they've revealed to the cast who dies? You know what I mean? Oh. So someone on that show. <laughs> Won't have a job in six months. I mean, if it's a series regular, I, they would have to know, I think. Well, I don't think they tell series regulars. I mean, they're contracted into the show, you know? They're contracted. I think it's more that the actor is contracted, but that the right. I mean, the showrunners can, can break the contract for story, story purposes. Yeah, I don't Yeah, I don't think they're that far in the skip, script process. I feel like that's something that... I mean, they know who's going to die. Right, right. Um, and like I said, it's Barry Allen. Yeah. Uh, I I think that they would have had to have had that conversation because otherwise everyone else is going to kind of be standing around being like, is it you? Is it me? Is it, is it, is it him? Huh? Huh? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I think mm. that, mm. see like this whole like thing. And like, I'm thinking about it so much that. I'm going to start like writing on the walls and Debbie's going to come in here tomorrow and I'm going to like, my beard's going to be four feet longer. And it's just like, I've, I've, I've figured it out. I've, I've cracked the code. I know, I know how to save him. And of course it'll all be nonsense. And like, I'll just have the word cheese written on the wall circled four times. Like this is the clue. And then I'll, you know, never see my friends and family again. And, uh, but we can probably still do the podcast, um, from Bell Reeve mental institution. At the, at the very least. At the very least, I have that going for me, which is nice. I really liked Laurel in this episode. She, yep. I really, I'm just going to give a small little applause here to the Arrow team for pulling that character back into a really great place. Mm -hmm. Season one, you know, season one when it started out, she was supposed to be this sort of love interest for Oliver that obviously didn't work. Uh, but they still kind of dragged it out. She wasn't really adding a lot to the show. She was just kind of there. Season two, she had her big downfall. Everybody disliked her. She was super annoying. But I thought, like, her storyline with, you know, the alcoholism, very well handled. And then season three, they start to pull her back up. They have her becoming the Black Canary. It felt natural. Uh, it, her progression felt really real. And now, you know, by the end of season three, I really liked her and coming into this, it's just that continuing of, she has solidified who she is. Her character arc is just, it, she is tough. She's badass. She's not a full fledged hero. She's not Oliver Queen level, but she's getting into her own right. And mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And I agree. Yeah. I think her I'm, her I'm digging Laura. her actual hair being blonde looks way better than the wig. Yep. Uh, I yeah I I don't know like where they're gonna take her from here, but I'm excited. I'm all in on that character. Of course, at some point this season we'll have the introduction of the White Canary. We will. I and that's way before Legend of Tomorrow even starts up. 
they're they're using yeah i, I can't remember who they're using flash to kind of set up for legends of tomorrow but they are using certain uh, episodes in this to set up um white canary i think i, I mean you would think hawk girl is who they're gonna well i guess um jay jackson and martin stein are gonna appear in flash well yeah but they go over to uh they're gonna go over to legends of tomorrow mm-hmm. i, I believe, oh yeah because martin stein's like contracted the actors contracted onto that i'm pretty sure uh which martin stein did uh uh no nick it's not showing up in the show um Are you sure yes okay because i can hear myself that's very weird i thought that martin stein going back to flash for a moment not a, a tom cavanaugh replacement but i think that he does actually add some good stuff to the show and yeah. I'm, I'm gonna enjoy him as part of the team while he's there Oh man, man, lots of good stuff this week. Mm-hmm. It's you know next week you got a lot to live up to. Good luck with that. I don't even know what's coming out. It's probably going to be the best stuff ever. <laughs> I Zombie also started back up, but I have not finished season did, one yet. Did the season two start? Season two started. I don't know. I just saw that season one is on Netflix. Netflix. Which is great, because yeah. I missed the last few episodes. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has also started, but I'm probably not going to be watching that as it happens. I enjoy mm. binging it. It's the only way I can handle it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the, a The hope that the next episode won't be as bad as the last episode? Nah, I wouldn't go that far. It's certainly no Stephanie Brown. <laughs> Alright, Nick. I feel like you're secretly a Stephanie Brown fan. Uh, she's just so kawaii. Um, so kawaii. Now, Nick, you have something here in the show notes. I feel like we should push off till next week. You want to? You want? Yeah, to, I think, I think we, we have so much other stuff here that we, you know, that that that's not really a time sensitive topic. <sighs> Is it though? I mean, no. No, that's fine. Actually, yeah, we will make that a point of discussion for the next show. Yeah, uh, it, I think, it specifically I think relates to yeah. Fantastic Four, the new Fantastic Four, which came out this past summer, uh, and we will talk about it at length. Maybe I can even convince David to at least watch it so that he can Ridicule have a you. personal reason to discuss it. All right. But, uh, yeah, we'll, dis- but, yeah, we'll next discuss week, that Fantastic Four. next time. For now, we're going to move on to... The news. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. They're bringing us the news. Uh, bring, bring it via web. Oh, how do you feel about the fact that uh, armpit webbing is back? Uh, I dig it. I well, feel like that's the news. Thanks, everybody. I feel like it's never gone. Like some artists draw it, some artists don't. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's not something that I ever put a lot of thought into. If it's there, I'm like, cool. That makes sense. If it's not there, I'm like, cool. That makes sense. <laughs> you know yeah uh all right man there is so much news to pick over new york comic-con is going on so lots where... of big and small announcements uh yeah, some things we begin? can just kind of gloss over mm-hmm. uh carrie ann moss has been cast as jaron hogarth in jessica jones no idea who that uh, is. for those that don't know jaron hogarth is actually a male character primarily of the iron fist persuasion mm. he's actually the attorney He's kind of the company attorney that was left in charge of the Rand business uh, after uh, Danny Rand's um, parents were killed and Danny disappeared into uh, Kunlun. Um, when Danny returns to New York um, at, after leaving Kunlun, um, 
you know, he basically leaves Jaren to control the company and crap. And uh, he's kind of a side supporting character in the Iron Fist, Power Man, Heroes for Hire, uh, corner of the universe. Um, you're, like such, said, you're such an Iron dude. Fist. You're such an Iron Fist nerd. I love Iron Fist. Um, uh, but Carrie and Moss will be playing Jaren. So I don't necessarily think gender is going to have a whole major effect on the character. I'll be curious, you know, because Jaren Hogarth, it's more, more that I'm curious about is how Jaren Hogarth is going to play into Jessica Jones. Is she just going to be an attorney that happens to be named Jaren Hogarth? Uh, is she going to have some kind of connection to Rand Enterprises? Uh, mm, could yeah. it be that one of the cases that uh, Jessica Jones works on is Has tied into Rand? With, yeah, Rand Industries people. Um, so uh, most of the questions is more around how the character is going to be utilized. Carrie Ann Moss is a great actress. Um, uh, I, I guess you can name your daughter Jaren. Um, I, I feel sorry for her that her last name is Hogarth, but uh, pretty cool. Yeah, no, Carrie Ann Moss, uh, great, great actress. Yeah, I will see what they do with the character come November twentieth. Uh, we got a first, a glimpse at the first pages of Dark Knight Three: The Master Race. Now, there's a lot of criticism going around about Dark Knight Three. A lot of people are calling it a desperate cash grab by DC. That they're investing a lot of publicity power on this book because a lot, you know, there's also a lot of rumors and stuff going around saying that DC is struggling financially. Um, and that, uh, you know, they're obviously their DCU launch, uh, financially wise did not kind of light up the sales charts. Um, so, I mean, besides having 3 billion variant covers, DC is putting a lot of weight behind dark Knight three and say what you will about Frank Miller, uh, your personal or, or creative feelings about him. Um, he's not doing the art for dark Knight three and I would buy this book. Yeah. I would buy this book based on uh, Andy Kubert's art alone. It's looking phenomenal. Yeah, so we just we just caught a glimpse of it, uh, but it's oh man, it is real good looking. It's you know it's it's Andy Kubert who's already in my mind a great artist in and of himself, channeling the Frank Miller's best to tell a story that's being co-written uh, and so according to Frank Miller, who's supposedly being modest. Uh, he claims that it, this is really Brian Azzarello's show, so um, really, that could, yeah. it could be him kind of downplaying his his involvement. Um, either way, we're we're getting a Azzarello, Kubert, uh, Frank Miller inspired Batman story set in the Frank Miller Batman universe. Uh, I think it's just going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely agree. Wasn't there another? Uh, oh yeah, a new Sin City series. Is Who knows also... when that's going to come out? Frank Miller did say that he's working on another Sin City story, volume, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's something that he's... like. Apparently, this is an anecdotal quote, um, Frank Miller was originally going to write and draw Dark Knight 3, and apparently uh, co-publisher Dan Didio said that uh, Frank the book needs to come out, uh, <laughs> kind of critiquing Frank Miller's ability to get books out on time. So with that in mind... With everything Frank seems to be involved with uh, getting Dark Knight 3 and its uh, various yeah. companion pieces out, uh, I'll be curious to see when this Sin City volume, presumably also drawn by uh, Frank Miller, is going to show up. Yeah, and I, I, and I, think, it's, I think it's probably good if they want a book that's going to come out 
fairly quickly. It's good having Brian Azzarello there because that's yep. a very prolific writer. He has, you know, his books are going to be out on time. And he's the kind of person where his writing style, I think, definitely has a Frank Miller bent. That kind of, he likes to yeah, he can definitely play up the linguistics. Uh, mm -hmm. And Frank Miller, uh, at his best, has a very lyrical, poetic quality to his narration. Um, and I think Brian Azzarello can really lean into that while also putting his own identifiable stamp on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, keeping it in the Dark Knight, uh, Frank Miller uh, playground, uh, they announced that while the series is taking a break between issues three and four in February, there will be a prequel story set before Dark Knight Returns with art by John Romita Jr. Hmm. Also, they know written, how to get me. Also written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you like Batman, if you like Frank Miller, if you like Brian Azzarello and Andy Cooper artwork, uh, there's a lot to be excited about uh, over the next uh, couple of months. Definitely, this is a book that I'm really tempted at, because uh, apparently the, the week or two after each issue, they're releasing uh, a deluxe edition version mm -hmm. that um, if you get the deluxe edition, which they're only going to have a limited print run, but if you get that, then you can... Um, what am I trying to say? Uh, they will be releasing a slipcase that will come with the final issue, issue eight, and then you can put all your deluxe editions in the slipcase. And I'm really kind of tempted to do that, hmm. uh, just because you know I don't normally give too much crap about how my books are presented, but it seems really tempting to me for whatever reason. I'm really getting behind this book. Uh, call me a sellout or a cop out or. Or pandering no, to no, I've, I have the so money many scheme, but it, it looks so really many, good. I have so many comic friends on Facebook that have just been gushing over their support for Frank Miller lately, because that is a guy that has unfortunately come uh, to a lot of criticism. You know, warranted or not, it's up to your personal opinion. But that guy just wanted to tell stories, you know, and and he went to Hollywood, and Hollywood was not kind to him. And now he's coming back to comics, and unfortunately that, that stink is following him. And it seems like people are really trying to, you know, well, to, to get his name back to where they, they think that it, it should be, how it should be I mean, be I viewed. think with Frank Miller, his, I mean, his, his poor directorial debut aside, oh, yeah. uh, I, think it, I think a lot of people tend to take up more criticism of his... Uh, the certain personal beliefs that he seems to carry yeah. uh, also uh, maybe relating to his work on Holy Terror. Um, but uh, beyond that, I mean, obviously he, he's a very polarizing creator in many ways, um, but it, it, you can't necessarily dispute uh, his artistic contribution to the comic industry uh, between like his Batman work and his Daredevil work, oh, no, whether I... or not you like it. He definitely contributed uh, a certain no, something. The guy changed superhero comics single-handedly. Yeah. Like, that's that's a fact. Oh, man. But there's still so many other news stories for us to hit. You know, there's a bunch of Marvel stuff, so I'm going to hit the last-looking DC story on this list. And Oh, two. There's two, actually. We'll hit these real quick. Uh, Seth Graham Smith is set to direct The Flash coming out in 2018, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is it's this project you don't know much about. We have Ezra Miller starring March 3rd, 2018. Uh, apparently the script has also received a treatment from Phil Lord and Christopher Miller of Lego Movie fame and uh, 21, 22 Jump Street. Uh, Seth Graham Smith 
who was the writer of uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and the author of Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Not the greatest film track record, but he has never directed before. So who knows what that is. Has he written like. film scripts? Uh, you know, he wrote the books. I don't well, know. He wrote the books, but I mean, right. it sounds like he has next to zero film credibility. Well, he's, he's everyone a... needs to start somewhere, but it is surprising that they're going with him as far as directing a, you know, well, which I'm assuming the DC is a pretty big tentpole film. Yeah, hold on. Let me. I think he's directed a couple like episodes of TV shows, um, which we also you know need to remember that the guy that directed Ant Man had pretty much done nothing uh, before. I he think Peyton have... Reed had directed a couple movies. He done like some rom coms. Yeah, I mean, this is like so. I'm looking now. He's uh, apparently produced a few things. Uh, he has directed a couple episodes of a TV show a few years ago. So he's a big thing. I mean, you have to think that they know what they're doing with this. We obviously don't know who DC's uh, Kevin Fire is yet uh, and what level they're going to have of control with their scripts. I think having these people, though, all involved tells me they're looking to get some humor in on it. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, there's also some rumors today that they're looking to do more of a tech-based suit, whatever that means. I heard it's, that. I kind of hope they shy away from that. It's it's all rumors. I mean, who knows what that even means? Yeah. Uh, well, as it, other, the only thing I can think of is that instead of him having the powers innately, that his suit actually allows him to well, uh, right, go generate fast. the speed force. And, I mean, apparently they're trying to think of ways to differentiate themselves from the TV show, which I think is fine. That makes sense. But well, to what you, degree you they get do back that? and forth because you hear these quotes where it's just like, I think the audience is smart enough to well, understand there's a difference between the, no, no, the no, 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 And they, they, they do. I don't think they're arguing that. They're just saying like, look, they're doing this really great stuff over here in the, in the show. Let's not repeat that. You know, let's not just do what they're doing. Let's find a way to do stuff ourselves. To make it unique, which right. I agree. I, but I think, if anything, if you're going to make a Flash movie, you want it to be as iconic and pure as possible. I mean, shake things up, you know, but some of the innate things I don't think you really want nah, to... These, uh, these these are all rumors not worth just speculating d- digging ourselves in on here. Uh, the Killing Joke could be a rated R movie. This is the animated Killing Joke uh, with the voice of Mark Hamill. Kevin Conroy has not uh, yet been confirmed or denied as being involved with the project. But that is the an upcoming DC animated film, and it could be R-rated. Now, does it need to be? I don't know. I mean, I get. I wouldn't say. I mean, there's mature subject matter in the. In the, uh, in, in the graphic comic, novel, but, yeah, they don't ever cross into our territory. But it's not say. like there's, you know, there's there's not a no. lot of it's suggestive, and then there, there's really no swearing and no there's blood no and nudity. gore. I mean, there's implied um, nudity, but really, nothing. besides besides the the shooting of Barbara Gordon, which is violent and, and shocking and controversial, and that. Um, the the book, I mean, there's really no, there isn't a lot of violence in the book. There's a lot of psychological warfare, but. Not a whole lot of like physical blood and guts violence. Yeah, 
Now, it hasn't been confirmed if it's going to be R-rated. It is just confirmed that DC has signed off that it could be mm-hmm. R-rated if, if the content should go there. I believe they also announced another animated Batman film called Black Bad Blood, which introduces Batwoman to the animated universe. Oh, I think so, yeah. Um, but I don't know much about it. Beyond uh, it, that. it was at the uh, Bad Blood panel this was all announced. I'm assuming it will have something to do with Taylor Swift's hit song, Bad Blood. Oh, man, that music video is crap. That... Yeah, it wasn't good. No, it just, that's so dumb. Anyway, <laughs> this is, uh, we're not going on a Taylor Swift tangent right now. Because I could talk about how that album is amazing, but we're not Back, going to. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Hey, yeah, Taylor Swift podcast. Uh, Nick, hit us with the next news story. Okay, uh, Thunder Agents, a uh, book originally, or a team, whatever, originally created by Wallywood, a legendary comic artist, um, has been tried to revive... Wallywood. Keep talking. Um, it's a book that uh, several publishers have tried to revitalize uh, in probably the last decade. Uh, I believe the last couple were both DC uh, and uh, IDW. I don't know if this uh, is still in partnership with IDW, um, but this particular news is that Thunder Agents is returning uh, with a partnership with the United Nations that the the, uh, the real United Nations uh, is going to be using the Thunder Agents as I don't know, I guess, uh, as far as publishing the, the Thunder Ages, it's going to be something that helps, obviously, promote uh, UN agendas, I'm Oh, assuming. man, is this going to be like the Star Wars prequels where we're just going to get into a bunch of trade regulation crap? <laughs> right. Um, but they've also announced alongside that there will be a film franchise. Um Here's the thing. Uh, I don't really care about any of that. Uh, the Thunder Ages is kind of that idea that, uh, I mean, it's definitely cool in theory but and some of the, the thunder agent books that i have read primarily the dc version uh that was out a few years ago was actually good mm-hmm. i want to say it was written by nick spencer um but uh as far as like when you announce something as a film franchise don't stop announcing things as potential film franchises yeah. no one cares when you say this might be a, a film franchise just say like they're hate. making a Thunder Agents film. If then everyone rushes to see a Thunder Agents film, they're like, this movie is incredible. Give me more. Then right. go, then go like, hey, hey. We like that. Let's make another one. Yeah. And this is especially with this property that to the you know popular culture, to the, you know, our hive minds is not uh, a, a ready known quantity to say like, mm-hmm. yep, yeah, we're going to go ahead and just make this a film franchise. First one could just bomb terribly. Uh, I'm League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was supposed to be the begin of this beginning of this great new franchise, bombed horribly. Just be like, yeah. hey, we're gonna put this out there and see what happens. Now, Thunder Agents is a cool name, but it's it is awesome kind of name. a corny name. So it's the kind of thing yeah, where you I see mean... Thunder Agents and you think of um, what was that show that that they turned into a movie with puppets, Thunderbird. Oh man, Thunder... you know what I mean? It's kind of like I see Thunder Agents and I, I think it's gonna be kind of like a a pastiche or a, a parody of like super secret agents. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, so it's the kind of thing where I don't think you can, uh, you might not be able to sell thunder agents in the same way that you could sell um, like transformers or something. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely... It'll be interesting to see. And ultimately, as long as the end product is good, I can't guarantee that it's going to make buckets of money, but 
I mean, if I enjoy it, I guess I don't really care what anyone else thinks. Um, but interesting news nonetheless. Um, in other news, comic sales are growing, according to ICV2. What? Uh, but slowly. Yeah. Uh, some of this, according, according to ICV2, is attributed to um, the delays on Secret Wars, among mm-hmm. some other things. Uh, and I can totally see why that would hurt because that's the kind of book that should be drawing in a lot of things. If you say a book that's supposed to rake in a lot of cash, uh, it's supposed to come out this month, and it doesn't come out for two months, or all two of a sudden years. you have a void of money in that month. Yeah. Um, I would say that part of this as well, and I haven't done a ton of research into this, so I could be you know, talking out of my ass right now, which I normally do, so it wouldn't be surprising, okay. is that... Uh, you know, comics has really adapted well to the digital market or finally has adapted well to the digital market. It took a little bit of time for it to get its footing, uh, but it's much, much more available and easier for people to get to Mm -hmm. and enjoy in different mediums as it were. I, yeah, I'm very curious. Um, very curious always what the future of comics is going to be. And that's something, you know, we could even have an entire, you know, 30 minute segment of us just throwing out ideas of how long is, is that going to last as a medium at when paper, you know, paper is no longer a, around or things that we use when we're all digital on our, our iPads and stuff and, or whatever other crazy future device when I can look at my wall and can I be like, Oh, pull up the latest issue of Batman. And like, there it's going to be, is it going to be some weird like motion comic thing? Who knows? Who knows? But motion comic Batman. Here's one thing we know: comics are not going anywhere, as my uh, Phoenix creator friends like to post. Hashtag comics never stop. No, they don't. One way or another, unless the planet gets destroyed. Well, true, but I mean, who knows? Even then. Even even then, there'll be cockroaches and comics are the only things that survive. Yep. That's I think that's true, uh, and and a box of Twinkies, and a box of Twinkies, Twinkies, right. cockroaches, and comics. We've got a ton of Marvel news. So we're just gonna run through some of this real quick. Uh, Marvel has announced a Captain Marvel young adult novel. Nick, reaction? Uh I would love to share it with my niece when she's old enough to read quote unquote young adult novels. Very cool. We are not qualified to talk about that. Uh, no, it, it is cool. I like that that DC's already doing this with Lois Lane. I like that Marvel's not doing this of, hey, let's branch these characters out into other other mediums that make sense. And, hey, we're going to do it with these female characters, which is really awesome because that's young adult novels is really where strong female protagonists tend to thrive. It's, you know, obviously when you look at uh, blockbuster film franchises like Twilight and um, uh, Hunger Games, both with female leads, both cater to female uh, audiences, you know, I think I'm mostly referring to Twilight. Quality aside, um, those books obviously hit a nerve in that demographic that just made it explode. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's good that Marvel's tapping into it, but I think they can't just put out any old novel. This has to be a book that has a real, genuine attempt behind it yeah. to push Captain Marvel as a pro prose novel protagonist, um, and then really get it into the hands as many 
um, adolescent girls as possible and let it bloom from there. Yeah, one thing, um, I, one thing I think is difficult is to be like, hey, we're going to do this with superheroes because like, how do you describe their powers and stuff without getting like really cheesy? I thought Lois Lane was a really great way to go because she's in this world, but there's so much more to her and she's not super-powered. Uh, I'm at least curious enough in, in the aspect that I would be curious to read a couple of chapters to see how they're going to handle superpowers in that way without it being really cheesy. That's, that's just my mm-hmm. mind goes of like, it's just, it's going to be written really cheesily. That's a word. Exactly. It's got to be the kind of book like, you know, Twilight, which is actually written terribly, but it's not written. It's not designed to kind of write down to the audience. It's hey, just not written well. You know, what um, else, you know what else was not written well? Harry Potter. Come at me. Come fight me if you want to. That is not a well-written book. Good story, though. Uh, at least the first couple of books aren't written very well. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, with this book, you can if you pick it up and you read it and you're like, this is a cheap marketing uh, grab, then it's not going to get any traction. If you get a great Arthur behind it that taps into the character, uses the language well, uh, and writes it for the audience, not, uh, you know dumbing it down for the audience in a way mm-hmm. um you know doesn't pander to the audience but but writes it a legitimate book that young people would find entertaining then i think it could go over very very well absolutely marvel has also announced obi-wan and anakin miniseries yay uh, yay i imagine it's going to be their wacky times when they shared an apartment yeah Obi-Wan and Anakin. Best track. <laughs> Obi-Wan. I don't know. I don't have any uh, sitcom. I mean, there's so many like sitcom like situations. Like They could uh, switch each other's lightsabers when they go out on missions. <laughs> and, oh. oh, no. They're going to have the Jedi Council over tonight for dinner. But Obi-Wan didn't tell Anakin, and he doesn't have enough food. They're oh. so Ross and Rachel. I mean, are they? I mean, just... just I'm thinking it. more like the odd couple, like Joey and Chandler sort of thing. Fair enough. Or Anakin and Padme are so Ross and Rachel. Mm. You know, up until that point where uh, Rachel gets knocked up with twins and then dies. Huh. I don't remember that episode of Friends, but uh, yeah, it, was, it, gets, it was a good one. It gets a little it's hazy a... for me towards the end there. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool for Marvel. I'm glad to see their um, uh, Star Exp- Wars universe see, the, expanding. But the, the comics is the perfect place for them to explore different characters, and we're getting all these stories about characters that we already know. It's I'm a little bummed about that. Aspect. I I'm not saying just, I, don't, I, I just want my Qui Gon Jinn series. Oh, they do need to give us more Qui-Gon. They Just do. Qui-Gon everything. I want the Qui-Gon all over the place. So. Ooh, that... Ooh, no. If you're, if you're Qui-Goning all over the place, people, uh, go see a doctor. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's a serious condition. Yeah, it's, ooh, it's not good. <laughs> if your Qui-Gon lasts more than four hours, see a doctor. Yep. Uh, Nick, what is this Marvel announcing a new uh, standoff Avengers event? This is not the next big Marvel event, right? This is not the next big Marvel event. It will only encapsulate uh, like 13 Avengers books. No. Um, It's true. So it's the first post-Secret Wars Marvel event. 
it's done more in the style of the way that a lot of their X-Men events. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. One of the editors or someone in the on the panel said that, you know, we always try to do some of these sort of inter-Avengers family ties that, you know, only t- take place within the Avenger family books. Um, but they, the stories end up getting so big that they become a Marvel Universe story and they just don't. So, for whatever reason, this story does not become the successor to Secret Wars. It uh, takes place between New Avengers, Uncanny Avengers, Captain, w- Captain America, Sam Wilson, um, and a couple other books. And it'll be... It'll start in Standoff number one, I believe, and then it'll feature in all the books for a couple of months and then finish in, I think, Standoff number two. Uh, and it has something to do with Steve Rogers, he's still old, trapped in a idyllic American town called Pleasant Town, I think. Ooh. Um, and, <laughs> that, was uh, like, that was like, all right, guys, we got, like, we got one minute till lunch. We need to name this place. <laughs> Pleasant Town. Great. Write it down. Um. And uh, shit hits the fan, and other Avengers show up, and apparently it's going to take several series across a couple issues to uh, tell the story in full. My thoughts on it is that um, it's not like I'm surprised. It's one of those things that just because this event will probably start before Secret Wars even finishes uh at this rate i think this event starts in february or march or uh, i don't know secret wars the kind of thing is not where ending till do, june 2019 it, so so <laughs> uh it's just kind of funny that we're st- like we're just getting we're just starting all new all different marvel and we're still trying to get to the end of marvel's current slash last event that hearing about another event can uh bring up the quote unquote event fatigue uh protesters but this at the same time yeah, it was going to happen sooner rather than later. I don't put a lot of stock into announcements. If the story, if the event is good, it's good. Uh, I, at least with the X Men books, some of their inter family crossovers have been pretty entertaining. Um, but really, it just depends on the story once it's all said and done. Yeah, um, I'm actually planning on reading most of the books it's tying into anyway. So for me, it doesn't hurt me too much. I can understand for someone who maybe is only picking up Captain America might be like crap i had to pick up like five other books yeah that's never fun for two months you know i can understand from a financial standpoint when all these issues are three to four bucks a pop or if you're buying more books than you intended on it can suck um but it's called standoff next marvel event uh cool marvel events who needs them marvel's also announced a spider women citric event called spider women featuring (laughs) spider Woman, Silk, and Spider Gwen. Yes. Cool. Uh, yeah, so this one might be a little bit easier to swallow. It's going to start with Spider Woman number one, feature across um, the three books, uh, either, I think, for two issues each, and then conclude in Spider Woman number two. Um, Spider Gwen has spent some time in uh, the 616 universe. But this will involve Spider-Woman and Silk ending up in Spider-Gwen's universe. Well, they'll uh, run across their Spider-Gwen uh, counterparts. Hmm. And apparently they are not nice in that universe. Um, if it's drawn, if, if Spider-Woman is going to be drawn by Javier Rodriguez, if Silk's going to be drawn by Stacey Lee, and if Spider-Gwen is going to be drawn by Robbie Rodriguez, this will be a very pretty crossover. If those guys take a break and... 
they get less uh, subpar artists in to cover in the meantime, it will not be a pretty crossover. As well, yeah. assuming that the artists that take their place suck. Um, I'm planning on picking up Spider-Woman. Uh, I've been really enjoying that book. Uh, I was reading Silk. I, I don't plan on picking it up, but I might catch it when it hits Marvel Unlimited. And Spider-Gwen, uh, probably the same thing. Uh, but it might force me to kind of want to check out these other books, at least for the crossover. But that's all we know. Yeah. It's a crossover with Woman of spider I, mean, I feel like, this. yeah, you know, the Avengers thing, it's kind of hard because it's like if you, you know, you're going to find like the Avengers team you like. And I know a lot of people just like to read one Avengers book. That's the one they go in on. And now it's like, crap, I've just spread myself out over all of these books to get the story that I'm not even that invested in. Where this is like, I feel like people who are reading Spider-Woman are probably already reading Silk or already reading Spider-Gwen. Like, this is a much easier transition and will catch a lot of the same audience uh, without people having to stray, you know, out of their comfort zone or into, you know, books they might not like. Uh, and uh, Civil War Two might be happening. I refuse to talk about it or else I will scream. We'll wait until there's more information on it. Oh, Nick, I just want to dig a hole and just lay in there until I <laughs> cease to exist. Wait for it to start so then you can devour each issue as it comes out. Uh, um, yeah, so Civil War Two might be a thing. Don't know nothing. It's not really news until it's news. Uh, um, a fun bit of news, this is exciting to me, is uh, that Marvel has announced uh, a sequel to this year's Ant-Man. It'll be titled Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. Uh, on top of that, they announced three more Marvel films. Un uh, they have not announced what those films will be, but that means we are now into 2020 as far as what of uh, for Marvel films. If I could hazard a guess, if Guardians of the Galaxy is going to come out in 2017, that puts it about three years from its fir from first Guardians of the Galaxy. I want to say Guardians of the Galaxy three will probably come out in 2020. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's we could, we could toss around guesses all day. I would uh, bet that we're probably going to see, if, well, hmm, maybe not. We're probably not going to see another Iron Man movie that's off the slate for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where Thor is going to land. I do think, uh, you know, Chris Evans has claimed that oh yeah i'll still i'll keep playing uh captain america which i think is a ploy to get us to think he's going to be around forever so when he yeah. dies in infinity war we're like but what? I, but I think i think that past infinity war iron man cap and thor at the very least are going to take a break not really i think if sebastian stan takes over it, they could do a movie Okay, there might be a Captain America, but it won't be right. the Chris it Evans. Won't, yeah, Cap. it won't be Chris Evans. Cap. Or they could just do... He's Sebastian Stan has said that he'd be interested in taking over. Um, you know, obviously we could potentially even get a Falcon Cap movie. So far, like, we've only gotten Falcon Winter Soldier in one film. And they're very early in their development. So obviously, you could what? say... Falcon's been in, like, 20... three movies. What? Falcon's been in, like, three movies. Sorry. Fal no, Falcon was in Winter Soldier and Ant-Man. That was it. Uh, nope. And, and he's also in what? Avengers 2. Okay. He briefly appeared in Avengers 2 at a party scene. Yeah. But, like, legitimate character development. 
Uh, we'll, I'm sure we're obviously going to see Falcon in Civil War, and then we will see him again, I'm sure, in Infinity War 1 and 2. How much of the plot's going to be revolved around him? Probably not a lot. So to all of a sudden say Chris Evans dies in Infinity War Part 2, I don't think they're going to then announce, oh, Captain America 4, and it's going to be Falcon. And I don't think they'd even do that with the Winter Soldier. Yeah. They think they would do a Winter Soldier movie. Oh, yeah. it's. I guess it does get complicated. I don't know what other franchises they would, you know, who, who else they can really throw out into the limelight. Unless it's like, hey, let's do a solo Rocket Raccoon movie, at which point we're probably going to be like, well, Marvel, it's okay. You can you can, you can put the knife down. We're all here for you. Uh, um, it's Yeah, it's all speculation. I'm sure we'll get, we're going to get by... By you know New or by Comic Con next year, San Diego Comic Con next year, we'll have announcements for what these films are going to be. They'll probably do another event at some point and be like, "Here we are, up through twenty twenty five. Yep, and you can just go ahead and start sending us your money directly. In fact, we're going to start taking it out of your paycheck now. It'll just be part of uh, your federal withdrawal or something. Yeah, Ant Man and the Wasp um, is pretty cool. Uh, because, you know, that's, hey, that's that's really exciting that Marvel is willing to give a woman a half-billing on a film. That, you know, you know I'm, I, yeah, uh, I'm excited that the Wasp is going to be up there. I'm hoping that we get to see Wasp before 2018. I don't know if she's going to make a brief appearance in Civil War. I don't know where else she's going to fall, could fall between then, unless maybe she's in, like, a, one of the, they either do, like, a Marvel one-shot or she's in, like, one of the post-credit scenes or something. Yeah, um, just was, to kind of remind people that yeah, she still yeah, exists. She's still I remember there was a bunch of rumors that she was supposed to show up in like the first Avengers, but Joss Whedon didn't want to touch any of the characters that Edgar Wright had been was working with at the time out of respect. Yeah, well, Janet Van Dyne was supposed to be in Avengers, um, but obviously they went in a different direction. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Uh, Captain Marvel has been pushed back again. As a result, though Black Panther has been pushed forward, mm. so, mm. so, I mean, if you, if you're excited for Captain Marvel, then it's disappointing. If you're excited for Black Panther, then it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. It's exciting. just, you know, let's, yeah. Just okay. release four movies in a year. People are still going to go see them. Just no, don't put them on the same no, weekend as not. a competitor's movie. No. If you start releasing four movies a year, people are going to start getting a lot pickier. They're not going to get pickier. It just depends on the movie. If you market it right and people are going to go see it. I mean, like, for example, there some people don't necessarily – some of the people that go to see these movies aren't necessarily considerate or care about the fact that they're all tied together. So, And at the same time – if you go see an X-Men film or Fantastic Four film, that still puts you at four or five Marvel movies in a year. Yeah, guess, and you still what? see the same Marvel logo as people, the movie begins. Guess what? People did not go to see the latest Fantastic Four movie. They did not, but they did go to see the the last X-Men film, which obviously made a lot of money despite the fact that it sucked. Um, but You know, I think that your opinion on Fantastic Four is going to just solidify for people... That you have terrible taste in movies. No. <laughs> I never said that I liked Fantastic. Look, we're not getting into that right now. But um, it's pretty much implied that you touched yourself to that movie. <laughs> um, 
But I'm just saying that, like, there's no reason why Marvel couldn't put out four films. Production-wise, I can understand, especially... Yeah, production-wise, it would be hell. ...overseeing everything. It's, it's a lot. But they could put out four quality movies, and people would still go see them. Because it's not like people only go see three only three movies a year in theaters. I mean, you know, so I'm just okay. saying that, like, people would go with, with, and see it. With where prices are, it's like, hey, you could be giving Marvel 20 bucks a year or 40 bucks a year. Well, people could, or you could say, say, I don't know, there's a Fast and the Furious movie coming out, and Marvel could release their fourth movie around the same weekend or the following weekend or the previous weekend as Fast and the Furious. They could be saying, hey, instead of spending your money on Fast and the Furious, come spend it on our movie. That's just an example. But there's no, I feel like there's no reason besides the stress of production that Marvel couldn't put out four movies a year. Because people... Look, uh, there's a lot for us to be debating. Uh, almost I'm two, what say Almost it. two say hours it. into this. No, people... I, I don't... I don't... I don't think... I don't get why you don't see that people would get picky. Because people didn't go to see Ant-Man, to be honest. Like, people, people did go to go see it. But not as many people went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy or other stuff. It's like people are getting to this point now where it's, this is getting really big and a little unwieldy that... Like, now people are starting to say, like, I'm not going to see all of these. No, okay. Yes, not as many people want to go see Ant-Man as, say, Avengers 2 or even Winter Soldier. But that's not because they're feeling fatigued or didn't want to play along or follow along and assume that Ant-Man was going to tie tie into everything. Ant-Man was a fairly self-contained movie, all things considered. Was it? was as much... Considering All that, that end scene, considered, um, but it's only because it was Ant Man. The fact that it was Ant Man and still did as well as it did, though it might not be comparable to Avengers Two, which no one thought it was going to make Avengers Two numbers, um, is still really impressive. Uh, and it opened up the you know it would be one thing if you know Ant Man did well for expectations' sake. Um, if they get to Ant Man and the Wasp and it tanks then, you know, then sure, you could say that there was a problem. But people did not go see Ant-Man because they were somehow fatigued. They didn't go How, because do, they do, either... Do you know that for sure? Like, are you taking polls? Do you know that for sure? No, but I'm saying, like, you, like you're the one who's making the statement of, like, no, they didn't do it for this reason, which you don't know that. You just made the statement that people went, didn't go see Ant-Man because they felt fatigued. No, I didn't yes. say fatigue. I'm saying people are starting to get picky. Picky. Uh, because because now like because these I mean movies are expensive dude it's like eleven bucks for a ticket in most it, places yeah no I, I I agree with that but I'm just saying there's more more than three movies come out a year so yes they might be picky about movies in general but for people that are typically into say superhero films or action blockbusters they would go see if you're going to go see Captain America Thor Iron Man and then go see uh, the uh, uh, Jurassic Dinobot. World Dinobots I don't know. Some other action movie, Edge of Tomorrow, some Tom Cruise vehicle. Edge of Tomorrow like, did not make money. I'm just saying that like it, you, there's more than three action movies that come out a year. And the people that go see the first three m- might possibly still go see the fourth three. I'm obviously talking about people in like the but, millions. But, okay, but, you, yeah, but you're also talking about movies that are kind of spread out over where it's like, I'm not just seeing superheroes. I'm going to go see like a dinosaur movie. I'm going to go see like a time travel adventure movie. Okay. Like, then Ma- all... Okay. What if movie number four was devil dinosaur? I'm just saying Mar- with these movies, the way that Marvel's kind of doing them is sure. They all kind of have that Marvel humor, but 
and it was a heist film. But it's it still it a it's still thriller. but it's still a superhero movie. Sure. Would you say that Guardians of the Galaxy was a superhero yeah. film? Yeah. I would not. I would say it had some superhero trappings, but was primarily a space opera comedy thing. I um, call it a space opera. That was okay. Sorry, a space comedy adventure, whatever. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously, we are agreeing to disagree. I think that that Marvel could handle it reception-wise. Obviously, it, it, I don't think that even if not enough people go, if not a lot of people go to see movie number four. It's not going to be because that they were necessarily picky. It simply was that if the movie was, I don't know, Devil Dinosaur, people just, you know, the the drive. Like, there's just not enough thrust behind Ant-Man the way there is even for someone like Captain America, which I believe Ant-Man well, beat the original openings of both Captain America and Thor. Nope. Well, they, maybe, maybe Maybe the, like, opening weekend? Is that what you're talking about? No, like the nope. total gross. Nope, total gross for Ant Man, one hundred and seventy-eight. Uh, Thor, one eighty-one. It did beat Captain America, one seventy-six. Okay. So it barely beat Captain. I mean, that's still two. But still, dollars, but... it beat. He beat an American icon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but the first um, Captain America movie's not good. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. You right. could argue, some people would argue that Ant Man okay. is not good. But here's the thing. Here's subjective. the thing. Here's here's also another thing. If you start releasing four movies a year, are you doing all sequels? Or are you starting to introduce new characters that are just... It makes it both. They, I mean, if you look at it right now, like this year was a sequel and an original. Next year, you have a sequel in Civil War and an original in Doctor Strange. And the following year, so on and so forth. When you get the three movies a year, it might be like two sequels and an original, or two originals and a sequel. So like when, are you, when are you saying we should implement this? Like tomorrow? What? Four movies a year? Yeah. Well, obviously, unless they want to add... If we're being realistic about it, obviously the earliest we would get four movies a year is probably three years from now because they would actually need to announce what that movie is and then All right. you know, start producing it. But also, I, I think this was more in relation to they pushed Captain Marvel back. Why are they pushing it back? Is it really just to um, navigate the minefield of movie release dates? Is it because of production issues or simply that they want to take more time on the production? There's a reason they pushed it back. When, if anything, they'd be wanting to make it come come closer because obviously there's a lot of interest and speculation and curiosity on how well Captain Marvel will end up doing. There's a lot of speculation for all of us. I think a lot of people, you say, like walking around the street, like, there's going to be a Captain Marvel movie. They're going to be like, what the hell is a Captain Marvel? Okay, not like those, like the average people, but I'm also <laughs> not just referring to like the hardcore fans. Right, people that people that go see superhero movies, that for those that are saying when is the, when is there going to be a female led superhero movie, those people are really interested. And obviously, Marvel as a business obviously want to, wants to cater to the greatest amount of people possible, but you obviously don't want to alienate your core too much. If you have a even small minority saying we're really excited. Those are the people that you know you're going to get hooked on opening weekend and if the movie's good, they're going to go out and spread the gospel mm-hmm. and then other people are going to come and show up. Now, uh, Nick, you want to know when we're going to get a female-led superhero movie? Uh, 2017. 2017. With what movie? Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. So, I mean, Wonder... that's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited for that. But I'm just more on the Marvel side of things. But that thing, Marvel should be pushing that release up like up to 2017 
to have them go head-to-head. -head. I mean, not like saying head-to-head, -head, but just have that be like the summer of female superheroes. They should. But they're not. No. All right. Well, obviously, Nick and I nearly killed each other, but we pulled through. That was, whew, I mean, the last I don't think you've ever, you and I have ever disagreed that I hard mean, on I mean, I have other things I could say, but we're not going to keep digging into it. <laughs> so, you know, them's the breaks. Uh, let's do some recommendations real quick before we head on out of here. Um, All right. Um, my recommendation today is Scandal. Uh, I, oh, I hate you. So I should have seen that coming. <laughs> I wrote it on the page you before did. we started the show. Oh, that's horrifying. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, Scandal is a This show is not your by... recommendation. It's a recommendation. There might someday be a Scandal comic book. Oh, uh, oh I'm doing this, I hate uh, you uh, so This is a much. preemptive recommendation, assuming that Scandal will eventually have its own comic. Uh, Scandal is a show created by Shonda Rhimes of Grey's Anatomy fame. Can't believe um, you're as uh, I guess a man, if I want to be somewhat stereotypical, uh, this is not a show that I should feel catered to, uh, and I do find it very melodramatic uh, and overwrought in many respects. But Shonda Rhimes and her team of presumably fantastic writers are really good at cliffhangers. And making you want to jump to the next episode, um, it's it's pretty spe spectacular. Um, Scandal uh, is stars uh, Kerry Washington, and there's another guy that plays the president, and they have an affair. Uh, in her spare time, and by her spare time, by, by that I mean her day job, she is a professional fixer. So if there's a political scandal or something, before it really blows up, she gets uh, called in there to try and spin it so that it doesn't blow up as much, if at all. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's an amazing show. It is like um, I, uh... a bright light and a dark life. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And all of you should stop listening to the podcast stop right it. now. Don't even stop bother it. hearing what David's going to recommend because he's just rehashing again. No, I'm uh, not. And uh, go watch Scandal. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm First going four to. seasons are on Netflix. I'm sorry that I'm going to Check recommend uh, something actually related to comics, not Whoa. freaking Scandal. Carrie Washington played Alicia Masters in both Fantastic Four movies, so don't tell me the Scandal isn't related to comic books. Okay, I will tell you, Scandal isn't. Also, not at one all. of the characters gets nicknamed Robin in Scandal. The boom comic connection. You know, I want to kill you more right now than I did five minutes ago when we oh, were talking. Oh, guys, check out Scandal. Music. It's it's freaking awesome. It's amazing. Uh, no one else is ever going to listen to us again after this. Well, uh, my recommendation this week having to actually do with comics is The Flash Season 1 and iZombie Season 1, which are both now on Netflix. I guess I can recommend uh, Arrow Season 3. That's up there as well. If you want to look, go through look, all we that. We didn't really like Arrow Season 3. You know, Arrow Season 3, people are forgetting that... There the was first the, half was really good. The I Boxing the Glove Arrow. Half. The Boxing Glove Arrow came out of Season 3. So, suck I guess out. that makes up for it. Uh, Alright, but, I mean, I, all in all, Arrow is on, is on Netflix, if you want to get on that. But if you uh, are someone who didn't think to watch iZombie. I mean, Flash Season 1 is a no-brainer. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Absolutely. You need to get in on that. It is just pure comic book goodness. 
and you will if if you don't like it i will i don't know destroy get, you get nick to give you your money back for what i don't know but i will make it. you sit down and watch scandal oh see that's your punishment <laughs> if you don't enjoy flash season one see so a better love it i zombie season one though that probably is, is a show that uh that you yes you probably like no why would i watch that that seems weird it's a cw show i'm just not even gonna dig into that like it's not doesn't seem like it has that coolness that uh that flash and arrow have where they're with superheroes it's some graphic novel i've never read which shame on you but starring rose mciver and the rest um i mean some other actors uh produced or showrunner rob thomas uh not of um matchbox 20 fame but instead of veronica mars fame brings this sort of police procedural to the small screen in which uh the character of live more which oh that that name choice <laughs> Uh, played by Rose MacGyver, is a zombie who has to eat brains in order to keep herself acting human and not going all zombie out and chowing down on the nearest person she sees. But when she eats brains, often of the victims of crimes, because she works in a morgue, uh, she will take on their memories and personality traits and then helps the detective solve their murders. Uh, it is so much fun. It is at times really creative. Um, th it does kind of get into some CW love story stuff that's not great, but that's not turned up too hard. So you can push your way through it and instead just get back to uh, to the fun that is uh, Liv and her detective friend going around solving crimes. And the uh, Dr. Ravi is such a great character. And will will keep you laughing, smiles on your face. Apparently, the last episode uh, of the season, Blaine's World, is amazing. I haven't gotten to it yet. So, uh, you know, for that, for that alone, to see how that happens. But really, it is it is fun, and Rose McIver does a really good job of being able to portray all these different personality traits while keeping the character of Liv right there and and keeping you caring feeling it in your heart so go check those out on netflix flash season one and i zombie that is going to do it for us i uh, get an extra long episode but man so much good stuff to talk about and we, we even probably didn't talk about some stuff because just there wasn't time but there was still so much goodness uh nick any final thoughts for our listeners I can't wait for you guys to watch the game. Oh, man. Really should have seen that coming. Should not have allowed you any more chances to talk on this episode. Uh, if you want more info on the show, you can head over to heckyeahcomics.com. You can follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics or write us an email about anything except for scandal at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, and you can uh, find Nick watching Scandal for some inexplicable reason. And if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. If you hated it, then please tell your enemies. 
Until next time, Excelsior! Ever.